This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Some sobering numbers on a tough topic we have to cover regularly, and that is the shortage of long-term care and the growing waiting lists, let alone the problems inside these facilities. Yesterday, the Financial Accountability Officer reported that even if the Ford government makes good on its promise to build 15,000 new beds in the next five years, the wait list will keep growing because of the aging population. The wait list is now 37,000 long. It's projected to grow to 40,000 next year and to get back down to 37,000 once all those new beds become available. But the financial accountability officer also says that within a decade, we will need get this 55,000 new beds just to keep the waiting lists the way they are now. We will be talking to Minister Marilee Fulton shortly, as well as nursing home operators. And of course, we want to hear from you. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. But first, I want to bring in Miranda Ferrier, who is the president and founder of the Ontario Personal Support Worker Association. Hi, Miranda. How are you? I'm good, Libby. How are you? Fine. So what is your reaction to those numbers, that report? Unfortunately, not surprised. Uh, Not surprised. Why not? Because we've seen an increase in demand for long-term care beds going back over a decade now. Um, The demand is there. It's always going to be there. Uh, We're finding we have more acute cases that need to go into long-term care. Home care in itself is a completely different show. Let me uh, to get into. Um, but from an association standpoint, our biggest concern right now is there is a mass deficit of personal support workers in the province of Ontario. So we're talking about more beds, but if we don't have the staff to staff them, how are we going to even make this happen? Well, absolutely. Uh, even in this numbers doesn't take into account the shortage of workers. No. No, not at all. And the deficit keeps increasing and increasing. And unfortunately, to this point, we've been talking with the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Long-Term Care, but we've received no comment on the ministry's plan to staff these beds. And what are you uh, telling them that you need? Well, first and foremost, the personal support worker, as many of your listeners know, are the front, front line of Ontario's healthcare system. And they're the ones that they're about 80% of the staff in long-term care homes. Personal support workers are unregulated. Uh, what we're seeing right now are PSWs are leaving the field, and we have for a while, Libby, as you're aware. They've been living the field for over a year in rapid rates because of the lack of recognition, the lack of support, the lack of proper scheduling. Uh, the list goes on and on. So we have an active proposal in front of the Ontario uh, government currently for self-regulation of the PSW. We believe with a solid foundation for personal support workers, giving them that, that respect that badge of pride that they can say I'm a registered personal support worker will definitely increase more people going into the field and bringing back past personal support so workers. So you're talking about something like the College of, of uh, Physicians or Nurses? Absolutely, yes. 
I, I want to give the numbers out again. I'd like to hear from people on their challenges about having themselves or a loved one on a waiting list for a long-term care home and what happens and, and the difficulties of getting home care. And then a lot of people end up in hospital and deteriorate in hospital because of that. Uh, uh, I'd like to hear from our audience on that because, you know, Today and yesterday, this is a, a big story with a lot of very big numbers being tossed around, but really it comes down to people, and we want to hear from the people behind those numbers. So oh, our numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740, and uh, we want to hear from you about your experiences and you know what you think, maybe... Maybe everything is fine now, but maybe you anticipate it depends on your age, either you or a loved one needing long-term care somewhere in the next decade. And, and look what we're seeing that, that, uh, the list 40,000 next year back down to 37,000 after the government puts in 1.7 billion dollars and then they need more. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's really uh, staggering, Miranda. That's the only way I can describe it. Well, you know, I think that we, Libby, for years, everyone has kind of depended upon the old model of how we view care for our elderly population. Uh, I think what uh, what the Ontario Ministry of Health is trying to do currently with, you know, the new Ontario health teams, uh, that's a step in the right direction, we truly believe. Um, it's about patient care first. But we have to look at how do we supply that care and make it possible for every Ontarian to receive quality care. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you know, the, I mean, the, you know, when I look at these numbers, I question: Is there ever going to be enough money to deal with this, this in a fulsome way? It's a really good question. I mean, I would personally say probably not. Um, I think that, you know, we went from a model where families used to take care of their loved ones in their homes, you know, going back 40, 50 years ago to now they're dependent upon long-term care homes and home care companies to provide that care because we are all, all working full-time jobs. There's no such thing as retirement anymore. Um, you know, so it, it's a different world. And, and I believe that the Ministry of Health probably needs to look at it in that way. Um. Yes. I mean, uh, so what happens to someone when they're on a list for long-term care? Well, it uh, depends upon how, what their, their current situation is. So I'll give you an example. I, I'm a personal support worker. I used to work in home care, and there's long-term care waiting lists. And a lot of times the PSWs get sent in to care for these individuals while they're waiting for a long-term care bed. I had a woman that uh, had been in a diabetic coma, and she required to have her blood sugar taken every hour. I was that personal support worker. I was in her home for 40 hours a week um, to leave the family um, so that they could go to work and they could do what they needed to do. But that was 40 hours a week of, of PSW time while we awaited a long-term care bed. I was with her for over a year. Wow. Let's hear from Shirley in Hamilton. Hi, Shirley. Oh, hi there. Um I'm a former PSW, and I just wanted to comment about the um, care. Um, and then I worked at a nursing home. I also, my father passed away in Kingston while waiting for a long-term care bed. He was in KGH for almost two years and wow. died in hospital. That's Kingston General. Kingston General. But I'll say this. Um, 
he actually had more one-to-one care in the hospital compared to nursing homes because the ratio is ridiculous, PSWs to patients. I worked in a nursing home. It was three of us. It was a race, three people to 30. And it's still that way. It hasn't changed. And that's what has to change. It's um, And like the other woman was talking about regulating, and that might help. But it's, it's our seniors and disabled are not being taken care of properly in nursing homes. It looks pretty. And from working behind the scenes, I can tell you, <laughs> it's a, literally you don't even have time to, um, you know, good morning, literally get them out of bed and just run, run. Yeah. But so. in terms of your father being in the hospital for two years when he didn't need to be in the hospital, I mean, that is not a good thing. Oh, no, he needed to be in the hospital because he had dementia. So, but yeah, but exactly, because he should have been, that's taking up a bed for other people. And there, there was a whole floor in KGH of people waiting for a nursing home when he, before he passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, and that's common. And I'm not sure about here in Hamilton, but definitely in uh, Kingston. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's definitely common. That's part of the problem with the whole hallway health a fiasco. That's and that's, right. There are yeah. people there who who don't need to be there, who really shouldn't be there, who that's should right. be in a long term care facility. And and in your, why did you leave the profession? Did you retire, or did you leave because things weren't good? Uh, a little of both. <laughs> uh, definitely, the it would be working. And I'm older myself, and working in the nursing home is just absolutely exhausting. I couldn't do that. Uh, home care was a little better, but it, same thing. It's a uh, it's it's a, a bit of a thankless career. I mean, I went into it because my mom was in a nursing home, and I saw like, oh, this would be great. I love to help people, but it, it, there's not a lot of respect for the PSWs. That you really don't know the amount of work they do uh, until you're actually in there and behind the scenes. And then you see, yep. like they say, 80% in nursing homes, definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they need a lot more of them for long-term care. They need more beds and they need more PSWs, 100%. Yeah. But it's been said for years and years now, right? And not much is changing. And now the government's cutting back more. So, Well, yeah. they're, they're, they're promising 15,000 new beds. Yeah. That's, uh, I was reading some article. They say they're going, that's not even going to be a, a chink in the armor. You know, well, I mean, yeah, little boomers, you know, it's just a fact it's been out in the open for, look at all of us are, they're aging, we're not going away, <laughs> you know, and the amount of people living longer and people with dementia and things like that, it's just getting more and more beds. Well, yeah. hopefully we will be able to find some kind of solution sometime. Shirley, thanks for your call. And uh, Miranda Ferrier, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, anything very quickly you'd like to leave us with? Well, um, anything is, remember that personal support workers do their best and have faith in the system, and hopefully everything will turn out best in the end. Okay, that's an optimistic (laughs) uh, final thought. Thank you so much, Miranda Ferrier. Thank you, Libby. Okay, well, on the political front, we seem to be stuck in a war of numbers following this very sobering report from the Financial Accountability Office. The current government blames the previous government, and probably with some cause, given that between 2011 and 2018, there was a 0.8% increase in the number of long-term care beds, while there was a 20% jump in the over-75 population. But opposition leader Andrea Horvath says the PCs are not fixing the problem. 
Between July 2018 and August 2019, the government only created 21 beds. And during that same time, while they created 21 bed speaker, the wait list grew by more than 2,800 people. Can the Premier explain why his government is following in the Liberals' footsteps, even though our seniors' population continues to grow? Okay, well, so as I said, it's a war of numbers. And now I'd like to welcome Dr. Marilee Fullerton, Ontario Minister of Long-Term Care. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Okay, so we had this report from the Financial Accountability Office that is very tough. Did the numbers in there surprise you? Uh, No. In fact, uh, I thank the uh, Ontario Financial Accountability Officer for the report because it's really shining the light on the reality that we're facing. Um, And people across the province are are waiting for long-term care. And if you look at the previous government's track record, it's abysmal. Uh, And these are real people that are waiting. So our government has shown its commitment, demonstrated its commitment with a standalone ministry uh, for long-term care. And I've been a family doctor for 28 years and actually studied this very issue. So I take this uh, to heart and our government is committed to this, to addressing the long-term care issues in our system. And, you know, that's part of the hallway healthcare as well, but we're, we're looking at $1.75 billion to create 15,000 new long-term care beds and redeveloping another 15,000 in five years. And so this is a big step forward and adding $72 million more uh, um, this year compared to last year for long-term care funding. So oh. uh, there are rumors out there that are inaccurate in terms of, of cuts. Uh, there are no cuts to long-term care. We have increased the funding. And uh, in fact, the FAO said that it's the largest new health sector spending commitment in the 2019 budget, and it was a crucial part of the government's priority to end hallway health care. And the 15,000 new beds represent the first meaningful increase to the supply of long-term care beds in over 15 years. Okay, so, yeah, it, w- yes, we see that. But, but according to this report, all of that will just leave us treading water. So, so how did you come out with or come up with that particular number if, if the best it does after all of that spending and all of that building is we're still left with 37,000 people waiting? Well, that, that, that's a very good point. And the reality is that 15,000 gets us started. And it's a commitment made by the government to address uh, the very complex residents in long-term care. And we have technology that we didn't have a number of years ago to allow people to stay in their own homes longer. Um, there's remote monitoring now being done for people um, who would otherwise be in long-term care. And there are excellent programs from, uh, you know, where I live in Ottawa, um, in Renfrew County, there's a community paramedic program. So these are innovative programs that are helping people stay in their own homes. And we're recognizing that surge in demographics and the shift with growing numbers of elderly. And that's why we're looking at an overall approach to uh, dealing with that, not only bricks and mortar beds, but also keeping people where many and most of the time they want to be in their own homes. Well, well, absolutely. And I keep hearing from government people about plans to do this. And, and, uh, you know, I think that we all agree that, that these are great innovations, but then, you know, I will do a show on something like this and I will 
be inundated with people who basically cannot get that home care, despite what we hear about increases to the budget. We just talked to Miranda Ferrier, who represents uh, personal support workers, and we hear, I mean, that that whatever you're planning of increasing, there are people leaving that profession, and, and do you have plans about how to get the workers to staff those beds? Well, I'm, I'm glad you raised that issue because, yeah, building 15,000 beds takes, um, to get a bed to, uh, to bricks and mortar, it takes about 36 months. By the time we allocate and get that bed built, the staffing aspect is another issue, and we are dealing with that as well. Recognizing, um, you know, a bed without staffing um, is, is not functional. So we need to have both of those areas addressed. So not only the capacity, the physical capacity, but also the staffing. And we value uh, the work and the dedication of personal support workers and the nurses and the people that do the work and to provide the care in a very dedicated and caring way in our long-term care homes across the province. And that's why it's so important that we have um, a very thoughtful approach about how to achieve that because the retention and recruitment of staffing is an issue. Well, we know that proper staffing is absolutely critical to making sure that people get the care they need. So this is a this is a comprehensive way to approach this. We've lost 15 years uh, with the previous government really doing neg- negligible efforts in on this front, and we're we've created a separate ministry um, to provide that level of focus to make sure we can streamline processes, get those beds up and running and look at how to recruit and retain um, not only personal support workers, uh, but other workers as the demographic shift goes on, because it will will happen. Uh, just as our population is aging, we will have that shift in demographics. So we're looking at an overall strategy for staffing um, and to make sure that we can get shovels in the ground as fast as possible and get our residents into the beds that they need and to support others in the community. And I want to differentiate home care from what I'm speaking about, which is things like virtual care um, and virtual long-term care, remote monitoring. Um, so there's, it's somewhat different from traditional home care. Um, and I, I want to um, really commend the Minister of Health, uh, Minister Elliott, for funding $155 million more towards home care and community care. Okay, again, again, uh, I know I just actually wrote a column about experiences with that on the I ground. I, I did read that. Thank you for doing that. Okay, no, 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 it hasn't been out yet. You haven't read it. <laughs> okay, well, I'm thinking about another column then, perhaps, so I yeah. appreciate that. But I know, you, I know you're very active on this on this area, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. But what I'm saying is that on the ground, it's not the same. So what concretely... Uh, do you have in mind for, again, the problem of, of recruiting the workers? And there are different problems for those who work in the homes and those who work in long-term care. Uh, you know, can you can you give us an yeah. idea? Because on the other side, we have unions saying that that uh, the only solution is, is to unionize them and, and uh, uh, work that well, way. So let me address that. And, and we've been consulting with the sector and collaborating with the sector um, over the, the last few months. Uh, across Ontario, and hearing excellent programs that are allowing PSWs to be um, recruited and uh, and trained and retained. And so there are campuses of care that we are um, creating so that it allows PSWs and other workers to be able to have um, more uh, um, team approach 
So they might be working in a living classroom. They might be working um, and assisting with research and really encouraging the retention. And in, in a new, numerous locations, we're finding that that's happening. So I'm very hopeful that the recruitment and the retention of the PSWs will be improved. And we recognize that that's an issue. And, and I thank you very much um, for your interest in the area. And I think it's really important to keep addressing these issues and understanding the problems behind uh, these issues, because that's how we'll find the best solution. Now, long term, according to the Financial Accountability Office, in a decade, we'll need an extra 55,000 beds. Have you, have you tried to tackle that as well? Well, yes, and, and that's if we approach it in the same way that we've been doing. And so we want to create a modern long-term care system for the 21st century that will use the technologies that we have today um, and the research that we have today to help keep people off wait lists and out of long-term care, keep them active in their communities. Um, and keep them safe and provide the support and services that they need uh, in their own homes. And uh, if we, our commitment as well as the government was an additional uh, 15,000 beds over, uh, over 10 years. So we understand the capacity and accessibility issues. And I think we live in with tremendous challenge right now, but also tremendous opportunity um, to find ways to provide support for people that we never had uh, those mechanisms before. So the innovation um, is really uh, tremendous, and, and I think it's a great opportunity to be able to provide people with care um, in different ways. I don't know if you were listening as I introduced you. We did play a clip from Andrea Horvath from today's question period where uh, she cited a number, um, a small number of beds that that uh, you have put on stream recently. Was there a slow start? Was that a fair criticism? Well, you know, I think it, it, it's been very slow for the last 15 years. And so our government recognized early that we need to have a focus on long-term care. And that's why there's a dedicated ministry. Um, so whether the 21 beds is a small amount or not, you know, if you look at the overall scope that we're trying to address, it is a small number. But having said that, it's 21 people uh, in in a long-term care home that wouldn't have been in a long-term care home otherwise. But it's the 36 months that it takes to get to uh, from from allocation to built, and we're looking at streamlining those processes and understanding that rural communities will have different issues from urban communities, and how we address that, speed things up, get shovels in the ground faster, and residents into the beds faster. So those. For those 21 beds that were available, there's 21 more people that being, are being served. But we have to look at a much bigger scope with the 15,000 beds that we've, we've got going. And we're halfway there with our allocation. Okay, I was just about to ask. So you've allocated for 7,500? and Well, that means- almost, almost 7,900. It's, it's, it's 7,900 to 8,000 right now. That's about half. Uh-huh. And it's 36 months from now. Well, those some of those beds have been allocated for for a little bit of time. I'd, I'd have to. I don't have the chronology in in front of me. But if you look at the thirty six months, our streamlining and getting shovels in the ground faster um, will help to shorten that time. And we opened a call for applications on October first, um, calling on any current and potential long term care operators um, who want to build and redevelop um, to put in an application. So. We're, this is the, uh, to designed to build those remaining beds and get those other beds up 
So it's going to be a process that we're looking at streamlining and improving. Um, we need modern processes, and we need to be cutting red tape and reducing the barriers to getting these beds open. Uh, and that's our, our, our uh, focus, to get people into the beds faster than has been going on in, over the last 15 years with uh, the government. Finally, just as a, an overriding question, in retrospect, did you, did your government overpromise about all of this? I mean, it's obviously connected to hallway healthcare and, and fixing this. I mean, it just looks pretty intractable from where I sit. Did you overpromise on this? Well, in, no, I think we have to start somewhere. And that's what we've done. And I think it's a very real, legitimate um, commitment with those 15,000 new beds. 15,000 redeveloped, that's 30,000, and then another 15,000 in the, in, in the five years after that. I think that's a, a very reasonable, legitimate start. It will take tremendous amounts of work, and we're dedicated to getting that done. But I'm very, very hopeful and optimistic with, as I said, with the ability to keep people, people in their own homes longer, keep them healthier longer. Um, we have Minister of Seniors and Accessibility that is, is uh, also working hard, and with my other Minister um, uh, of Health, Christine Elliott, doing wonderful work. This is going to take uh, a cross-government approach, a multi-ministry uh, approach, because whether it's municipal um, affairs and housing, whether it's seniors and accessibility, or the Ministry of Health, uh, or training colleges and universities, or, or colleges and universities, or labor and training, it's going to take all of us to address this, because it's not simply building 15,000 spaces. It's the staffing. It's the, um, the issues surrounding um, the, the redevelopment costs, urban versus rural. And I think we have a good understanding of what it's going to take. And I'm very hopeful and very optimistic um, that we have new technologies available to us that we never had before. So it's a, it is a big challenge. And I acknowledge that. And as a government, we are committed to making sure that we shine the lens on long-term care and improve the funding, $1.75 billion uh, uh, for this program, for the new beds and the redevelopment, and $72 million more this year than last year. So we are dedicated to this. We are committed. Our government is committed to this. Um, it, is, it is a big challenge, but we accept that. Uh, unlike the last 15 years where we have lost time, we've lost building time, we've lost capacity time. And now we're, we're hard at work, dedicated to getting this done. And I, I really do appreciate your focus on this. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Marilee Fullerton, Ontario Minister of Long-Term Care. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. I'd like to now bring in Lisa Levin, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Advantage Ontario, and that is the organization of nonprofit long-term care homes. Lisa, hi. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Libby. So what is your reaction to that FAO report? I wasn't surprised by the report. These numbers are no great mystery. We know the demographics. We know that there's more seniors that are going to be... Uh, you know, there'll be more seniors in Ontario. We know what the government has said it's going to do. And we know wait lists are going to take some time before they can settle down because we have to get the buildings built. And we also need to have other options out there other than long-term care to support our aging population. 
So the minister was saying, so first of all, in question period, Andrea Horvath, the opposition leader, said, okay, for all their promises, they've built something like 21 in the first few months, and and that's uh, pretty pathetic. Uh, Do you agree with that criticism, or is the minister right saying, you know, there's a whole process and we're just starting? Well, anyone who's been through building knows you can't just build in five minutes. You have to get zoning approvals, official plan amendments, building permits. And so it is a cumbersome process. Uh, This government says that they're going to be reducing some red tape. They've already shown us that they've done some of that. But building takes time. And there's no doubt about that. So we need to look at other options as well um, that don't take as much time to relieve the pressure on the system. They've also been kind of reallocating uh, people in old facilities. Uh, is, Is that a worthwhile thing to do? I think we need to look at all options. I don't think that's a good long-term option, but it's a good short-term option to get people out of hospital beds they don't need to be in so that we can uh, have the capacity in our hospitals. And, I mean, I'm assuming that you are referring, uh, the minister kept talking about new technology. I hear about a lot about new technology to monitor people in the home. You know, I, and I wonder about some of that. How will somebody who has, you know, cognitive deficit deal with technology and all, you know, how, how um, optimistic are you about that? And, you know, I haven't heard talk about the cost of that either. So when I think of technology being most useful, it's to monitor people's symptoms if they have uh, congestive heart failure or COPD. Uh, so you monitor their heart rates and, um, you know, you can also use it for diabetes management. But for someone with dementia, it is a little more questionable. I mean, there are different techniques and systems that are out there that can monitor uh, people living alone with dementia, if they're leaving their house, if they're falling out of their bed, if they're moving, if they're taking their medication. So there are some technologies that do do that. But it is, uh, you know, riskier uh, and you can't protect them as much. So for me, the best use of the technology is to monitor people at home, monitor their symptoms uh, so that you can manage their their health better. And and how would you how would you rate where we are at in terms of that? Is that something you know in in the uh, sci-fi future, or is it something that we will be able to implement more soon? Oh, it's already happening. Uh, I'm not sure how much of it is happening in Ontario now, but certainly in the U.S. it's happening. And uh, I believe the Sinai Health System. Uh, was going to do something. I'm not sure if they have gone ahead with it or not. And so this is not Star Trek. This is something that could be done now. Uh, Earlier in the show, we talked to Miranda Ferrier uh, representing the personal support workers. So it's one thing to say we're bringing in these thousands of new beds, but how are you going to staff them? And and what are you doing to address that issue of, of people leaving that profession in droves? So that's one of our biggest concerns is, you know, we can build the beds, but who's going to care for the seniors living in those homes? Because right now we have a PSW crisis and a shortage of nurses and other staff to staff these, um, to staff long-term care. So we actually at Advantage Ontario are developing our own strategy because we don't think, like we can't wait anymore for government. I, the new government has said that they are going to work on a long-term care HR strategy, which is the, you know, the first time in years I've heard um, that government was going to move forward with something. So we're really excited for that. 
And we ourselves are going to be doing things as well to promote best practices amongst our members of things that they're doing because we need to look at recruitment, retention, education, and technology to address this issue. Uh, and can you give us a, Miranda Ferrier wants a college of her own. Uh, I know of some of the issues when people are working in homes, there's, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not scheduled properly uh, and pay is low. I mean, what kinds of things do you have in mind to fix that? To me, the biggest barrier, it's, very, it's a very complex issue, but to me, the biggest issue is that there are not, there's not enough funding in the long-term care funding formula to provide enough staff for the seniors in today's long-term care homes. It's pretty much the same funding formula that was used 10 years ago, and people are much sicker than they used to be living in long-term care. And so as a result, you have PSWs who have five minutes to get someone up and out of bed, uh, changed out of their pajamas, and people feel like they're being attacked. Why are you taking off my clothes? And they don't, the PSWs don't have the time to work with them and urge them, you know, and prompt them to get changed. So that's one example. And so when you don't have enough staff, then people become burnt out, and then people quit, and then it becomes worse and worse. And so it's like a catch-22 situation. So until we get more money for more staffing and long-term care, that's going to be one of our biggest barriers to keeping the workforce and getting new staff to come in. Okay, I'm going to take a, a quick call, I hope, from John in Mississauga. Hi, John. Hi there. So you have a good story. I have a good news story. Not every story is bad. Uh, it, my mother uh, fell a number of, oh, five years ago, and she was in the uh, Credit Valley Hospital for about eight weeks, and they finally said it's time for her to leave. And she went to assisted living, which is very expensive. But my wife had done all the necessary work to prepare for the inevitable that she was going to end up in long-term care. After she was 94 at the of, time. Uh, pardon me? You said she was 94 at the she time. She was 94 at the time. Uh, uh, after about 10 days, uh, we had an interview with a caseworker, and he said to us, we don't think she's going to qualify. Cognitively, she was fine. My wife said, she's deaf, she's blind, and she's hardly mobile. Why does she not qualify? He said, I'm only the messenger, but I'll get back to you. The next day, he got back and said, Good news, your mother qualifies. Expect to call in the next three months for uh, admittance, admittance into a long-term care. Six hours later, good news, your mother has been accepted in your in your long-term care of fir- your first choice of long-term care, and she received incredible care for the next four years until she passed uh, in January. So sorry to hear that. There are some great stories. Okay, John, thank you for that. Okay. Thanks. Okay. Uh, he brings up a, a good point, Lisa, that we uh, don't really have time to get into, but might be a nice thing to leave people with. So what should people do a little in advance to prepare? We have about a minute left. To prepare to go into long-term care? Yes. Well, you need to go and look at the different homes that you're thinking that, that you might want to place uh, someone in. Because you, when you make a decision, you have to give uh the local health integration network, a list of homes. And when they come to you and they say, we have a home and we have a place, you have, they basically have 24 hours to accept it or you go to the bottom of the list. So you need to make sure that you research that well. And you can go online and find out the performance of long-term care homes to see how they're doing because it's a highly regulated system. So that's the kind of thing that I would suggest uh, people do so that 
they're not having their loved ones placed somewhere that is too far away or doesn't have the best track record. Okay. Anything else you want to leave us with quickly, Lisa? Well, I think the bottom line is that long-term beds are a really important piece of the puzzle, but we also need more supportive housing. We need more home care. We need more uh, of the virtual technology stuff uh, so that we can provide seniors with the best support uh, possible. Okay. Lisa Levin, Chief Executive Officer of Advantage Ontario. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, that is all the time we have. Remember, Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow. It is your chance to call and talk about whatever it is you want on the agenda. That's it for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.